Good morning. Everyone grab some refreshments. Come join us up at the front. Let's stand and sing together our call to worship. Come, now is the time to worship. morning new faces and old faces and friendly faces it's good to see everybody here we're oh not really old faces did I say yeah, that the old faces. now you mean like you know like comforting old friend faces that kind of thing welcome to memorial we're glad to have everybody here with us this morning let's sing I will call upon the Lord now this song um, it's a little different we call it kind of campy style. Our guys are going to lead and girls are going to echo. And then the second time through, the girls will be the leaders and then the guys will echo. So watch this screen and sing with us.
songs. We've heard it on the radio and um, decided to tackle it ourselves and we've done it a couple of times now. What you'll notice is that the guys have some solos in this song. So any, um, just sing along with them. Anytime you see words on the screen, just feel free to sing along.
sitting close to you, remedy that situation, and introduce yourself to one another. And children, please come forward to the rug at this time. Good morning, guys. Have um, let me let me tell you a little secret. Before, you know what I've done? Sometime one time when I was little, I've told a story. I told a lie. Have you ever told a lie before? Yeah. Sometimes they just sneak out, and you tell a little lie, and sometimes it's hard to tell the truth, right? And sometimes we don't even understand. You can come sit with me, Morgan. Sometimes you don't even understand um, when you're telling lies. The other day, Caroline told a little lie, and her daddy said, Caroline, are you lying? Do you know what she said? Lions live at the zoo, Daddy. <laughs> Sometimes we don't even understand when we're not telling the truth. But you know what? There is one book that always, always, always tells the truth. Do you know what book that is? Yeah, God's book. What's God's book called? Do you know? What's Bible? The Bible. The Bible always, always tells us the truth. And we don't have to worry about what we're reading when we read the Bible because we always know that it's the truth. You're driving me crazy. Um, 
So we don't have to worry about that Bible, okay? We can read the Bible, and we can know that we're reading the truth, and we're reading God's words, all right? All right, let's bow our heads and say a prayer. Close your eyes. Dear God, thank you so much for giving us your Bible to read with all of your stories about your son Jesus. Thank you for helping us to know that it's always the truth that when we read your Bible. Amen. It's good to see everybody. Glad that you're here. If, you're, uh, if there is a concern that you have in, uh, personally or uh, someone you know or someone you're concerned about that you'd like to share with us today, I invite you to turn in a prayer card and our ushers will have cards for you here. If you raise your hand, they'll hand you a card and, um, and just write something down you don't mind me repeating and we'll share those together in a few minutes. Um, we, yes, I do see the cards going out now. Hooray. Also, we have um, attendance registration pads being passed. We invite you to um, sign your family, your name in there. Ladies of all ages are invited to begin a Beth Moore Bible study entitled Stepping Up. Beginning Tuesday evening, April 1st at 6.30. It will be up on the second floor of the FLC. If you have any questions, call Kenna Brannan. That begins, uh, that's this Tuesday, April Fool's Day. And that's no April Fool's joke. Um, this morning we will be having a fifth Sunday gathering and it will be here, which is not our usual place but we're already set up with loudspeakers and all that. And uh, uh, Tully Studemeyer, Dr. Studemeyer is gonna be here this morning as our, our guest speaker. So we look forward to that. Folks, we're constantly in need of nursery workers. Um, I guess I could probably announce that every week. Um, I don't know of anything more important than keeping children safe in the nursery and allowing parents of little ones to go to Sunday school class. Of course, will parents take their turn in the nursery too? But um, help us out, help us by signing up. Um, I think the Sunday school hour is the, is the time we're having the toughest time with in 11 o'clock time, but uh, just see uh, Lee uh, Radline for more information about that. I think everything is on for the day today, uh, youth this evening, children this evening also with Bible study. So that will be very good. Um, if you're ready with your prayer cards, we invite the ushers now to collect those for us. By the way, one of my Waffle House buddies, uh, Bishop Cartwright, is, he has been here before to worship with us at the 11 o'clock service. Bishop Cartwright is a bishop in the Church of God tradition. He's real concerned about you all because I only preach for 20 minutes and he preaches for well over an hour every week. And he says that if I had anything worth saying, y'all would stay and listen for an hour. I think he's a little bit wacky, but anyway. Let us join our hearts together in prayer. 
Lord, we thank you for this day and we thank you that we can come and center our thoughts upon you and your way for our lives. And we confess to you that your way of thinking and your way of living is alien to us. And so we have to be reminded all the time to turn the other cheek, to give without seeking return for our gifts, to be those people that are concerned for others instead of ourselves all the time. Thank you for your wonderful way, O oh Lord, and thank you for calling us week after week to be students, disciples of the faith, that we might learn your way and put your way into action in our lives. Here are our special prayers for the day, Lord. We pray for the Benedict family after the death of their son, Heath. We pray for the Dustin Campbell family after the tragic loss of his younger brother. We pray for Helena Griffith, who is battling cancer, for Rick Sawyer's mother, who has cancer. We pray for healing for Mike Berg and Carl Reinick. We pray for troops in harm's way, their families and loved ones. We give you thanks for our, for a daughter's pregnancy. We pray for Paxton Mitchell, a three-year-old, fighting a battle and losing a battle with leukemia. And for his parents, Rob and Amy, as they prepare for their son to become an angel in heaven. We pray for Father David Valtiera who begins chemo treatment on Monday. These are our prayers through Jesus Christ who taught us to pray saying, Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Amen. We have as our speaker this morning, Mr. Bill Clute, one of the few people who know what Camp David looks like from directly overhead, out of an airplane window. Good morning. I'm going to have to start off with a quick little apology. For all of you that came in this morning to hear me tell a joke about Arthur, I have none this morning. <laughs> we'll try to go on anyways. Last week we celebrated Easter, the most important time in Christianity. We're all familiar with the story. Jesus, a man with no faults, is nailed to a cross where he dies. He's laid in the tomb of Joseph of Arimathea. On the third day, the tomb is found empty. He had been raised from the dead. It's a great story, but is it really true? Isn't it just a product of myths and legends that have been accumulated over 2,000 years? That's what skeptics would want us to believe. They'll tell us it's all just fantasy. Richard Dawkins, Oxford biologist, wrote the book The God Delusion, a book that spent 51 weeks on the New York Times bestseller list. Here's what he had to say about the resurrection. Presumably what happened to Jesus was what happens to all of us when we die. We decompose. 
accounts of Jesus' resurrection and ascension are about as well documented as Jack and the Beanstalk. Now, some say that the New Testament writers just made it all up. Jesus wasn't even a real person. Even some groups that claim to be Christian have deserted the Easter story as true and say that they're now searching for the historical Jesus versus the biblical legend. These groups will even go as far as saying it's not important if Jesus was really real, but what's important is that we learn from the messages and lessons that have just been put together through all these years. You won't be hearing a message like that from me this morning. I hope I'm not the only one that feels that it's important and that Jesus really was real. Why is this so important? It's because the resurrection is what separates Christianity from all other religions. The Apostle Paul wrote not only of how important Jesus' life was, but also how important his death and resurrection were. In 1 Corinthians 15, 13 through 19, he wrote, If there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, our preaching is useless, and so is your faith. More than that, we are then found to be false witnesses about God. For we have testified about God that he raised Christ from the dead. But he did not raise him, if in fact the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, then Christ has not been raised either. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile. You are still in your sins. Then those who have fallen asleep in Christ are lost. If only for this life we have hope in Christ, we are to be pitied more than all men. So according to Paul, if the story we celebrated last week is false, we're wasting our time. There's no good reason to be here this morning other than maybe a free donut. I could probably make a good case for that donut. I don't think anyone in my family would be surprised if they found me bowed down on the steps of the Krispy Kreme store. <laughs> I could make a good argument that Krispy Kreme, fresh, warm, glazed donuts bring happiness to the world, and for some people, a purpose to life. Now, some of you might say, well, I don't like glazed donuts. And my first response is, blasphemy. <laughs> my second response is, that's okay. In today's world where many people believe taste and truth are all relative, we have options for you. Krispy Kreme has a wonderful selection of chocolate donuts also. Just like flavors, there are many religions in the world and many people will tell you that they all lead to the same place. I could make that argument, but is it true? Of course not. What about Jesus? Do we have good reason to believe that the story we read about in the New Testament is true? Well, to determine that, we need to go to our source and answer the following questions. Is the New Testament we have today an accurate representation of the original writings? Is the New Testament historically accurate? And can we trust the authors? Skeptics say that all we have are copies of copies of copies accumulated over 2,000 years, and there's no way they could be accurate. They would compare it to the little game that I play, played as a kid, and I knew it as Grapevine. You might know it as a different name, but it's where you whisper the story, whisper something to one person, they whisper it to another, and it goes around the room. And by the time you get back to the first person, you may have a totally different story. What evidence do we have that the New Testament isn't a victim of the grapevine game? Well, we have over 5,600 original language um, manuscripts that have been accumulated across a wide geographical area. This is important because if this many ancient copies agree with each other, we can be pretty confident that we have an accurate representation of the originals. In the case of the New Testament, the copies agree with just a small amount of differences. Some scholars have gone as far as saying they agree to a 99.5% accuracy. Even more important is to notice that the differences don't involve any major doctrinal issues. 
It's mostly spelling differences and the rearrangement of words within a sentence. These, these rearrangements don't change the sentence, and small differences like this would be expected because the closest thing they had to a copy machine was human memory and a sheet of papyrus. And if we compare this evidence to the number of copies from ancient historical writings that are generally accepted by historians, we'll see that the closest comparison is really no comparison at all. The closest is the ancient writings of the epic poet Homer. Yeah, I know some of you are saying that's not a picture of the ancient Homer. It's the only Homer I know, and unless somebody has objective evidence they can bring forward right now, we'll go forward with Homer. Yeah, I don't see any takers, so we'll go forward with Homer. Homer wrote the Iliad, which brings us the story of the Trojan War. There exist 643 original language manuscripts of it, not much of a comparison to the 5,600 plus of the New Testament. We can also compare the ancient writings of Plato, Aristotle, Tacitus, and Josephus. These are writings that are generally accepted by historians, but as you can see, they don't measure up to the New Testament. In addition to the number of manuscripts, historians often look to how close the date of the oldest existing copy is to when they believe the original was written. Once again, the New Testament is in much better shape. As you can see from this slide, they're about 10 times better. So we can see from the evidence that we can be confident that the New Testament we have today is an accurate representation of the original writing. So let's look into our second question. Is the New Testament historically accurate? One of the biggest criticisms of the New Testament is that it wasn't written until long after the events took place. Now the events of Jesus' life, ministry, death and resurrection are believed to have taken place around 30 AD. The latest date scholars believe the four Gospels were written was Mark in the 70s, Matthew and Luke in the 80s, and John in the 90s. And it is a 40 to 60 year time gap, but it's still within the lifespan of eyewitnesses. It's not enough reason to dismiss it as being accurate just on that gap. Here's an example. 1998, Tom Brokaw released the book, The Greatest Generation. It's the story of the American generation that lived through and fought World War II. Now, the war ended in 1945. That's a 53-year gap between when the war ended and when the book was released. But no one would dismiss the book based solely on that time gap. One reason is the people of that generation, eyewitnesses, are still around to correct any errors they see in that book. And the alleged time gap problem isn't unique to the New Testament. The earliest biographies of Alexander the Great weren't written until 400 years after his death, but yet historians still accept them as reliable. Anyone that studies the historicity of the New Testament will quickly find that it's held to a much higher standard than these other documents. Of course, it would be nice if we didn't have this gap. Fortunately, it may be the case that we don't. First, consider the writings of Paul. Scholars generally agree that they were written before the Gospels. 1 Corinthians, which we read from earlier, is believed to have been written around 54 AD. That quickly takes us from the 40-year gap down to a 24-year gap. So now let's look at the book of Acts for clues about the Gospels. These clues come more from what it doesn't say than from what it does say. It doesn't mention the destruction of Jerusalem and the temple by the Romans in 70 AD. Luke, who first wrote the Gospel according to Luke, and then the Acts of the Apostles, referenced many historical events and people that could be traced through secular history. The destruction of the temple was a fulfillment of prophecy by Jesus and a big piece of history. We would expect that he would include a story like this to strengthen his story, unless the events didn't, hadn't taken place by the time he had finished his writing. Another exclusion is the death of Paul. Paul's the main character of Acts. 
When Acts ends, Paul's under house arrest. Logical assumption is that the book of Acts was completed before Paul's death, which is believed to have taken place around 64 AD. So we'd expect that Acts was completed probably no later than 63 AD. That's down to a 33-year time span. Now, like I said, the Gospel according to Luke was written prior to the Acts of the Apostles. So if it was completed before Acts, which was completed around 63 AD, we would expect Luke would be completed no later than 62 AD. That's a 32-year span, but we're not going to stop there. Scholars call Matthew, Mark, and Luke the Synoptic Gospels because they share many stories in common. They believe that they all made a, have, uh, scholars believe that Mark was written prior to the others. So if Mark was written before Luke, we can expect that it was written before 62 AD, probably as early as 60 AD. Some scholars believe as early as the mid-50s. We can go a little bit farther. Matthew, Matthew, Mark, and Luke are called the Synoptic Gospels because they share many stories in common. Um, scholars believe that they all shared a now lost document that you may have referred to, may have heard referred to as the Q document. They also believe that they refer to another document which they refer to as the passion narrative that could be dated to within five years of the resurrection. So we see the gap that many people complain about really isn't that big of a gap at all. It could be as small as between five to 24 years. What about non-biblical support for the historical accuracy of the New Testament? It would strengthen our case if we had that, and fortunately, we do. First, we can look at archaeology. We don't have time to go in great detail, but we can, can quickly mention the Pool of Siloam from John chapter 9, where Jesus healed a blind man. The Pool of Bethesda, complete with five columns, as described by John in John 5.2. A stone inscription bearing the name of Pontius Pilate that confirmed the existence and office of Pilate. And finally, the ossuary of the chief priest Caiaphas. These are all people and places whose existence was in doubt and was used by skeptics against the New Testament. But archaeology has shown that the New Testament is accurate. Now let's look at historical writings outside the New Testament. First, we have the writings of Josephus. Josephus was a first century Jewish general. He wrote a complete history of the Jews from the beginning of time to 70 AD. In his writing called Jewish Antiquities, we find two references to Jesus. Now the first one is dismissed as not authentic, but the second one is generally accepted, so we'll focus on it. In it, he wrote, Convening the judges of the Sanhedrin, he brought before them a man named James, the brother of Jesus, who was called the Christ, and certain others. He accused them of having transgressed the law and condemned them to be stoned to death. Next, we have the Roman historian Tacitus. He wrote, Nero fastened the guilt and inflicted the most exquisite tortures on a class hated for their abominations, called Christians by the populace. Christus, from whom the name had its origin, suffered the extreme penalty during the reign of Tiberius at the hands of one of our procurators, Pontius Pilate. And a most mischievous superstition thus checked for the moment again broke out, not only in Judea, the first source of the evil, but even in Rome. And thirdly, we have Pliny the Younger. He was a governor in northwest Turkey and nephew of Pliny the Elder. He wrote a letter to the Roman Emperor Trajan around 111 AD. In this letter, he described a peculiar group of people he had arrested that called themselves Christians. And he wrote, they had met regularly before dawn on a fixed day to chant verses, alternately amongst themselves in honor of Christ as if to a God. Just from these three examples, we can see that even if we didn't have the New Testament, we would still know that in the early first century, there lived in the land of Judea, a man named Jesus. 
This man had a brother named James. He was considered by many to be the Christ. He was put to death at the hands of Pontius Pilate. Even after his death, many continued to worship him as if he was a god. And this worship took place not only in Judea, but also in Rome. So now we'll move on to our third question. Can the authors be trusted? Skeptics will complain that we can't trust the New Testament because it was written by followers of Jesus and they would be biased. And if we analyze what they're asking for, I think we'll find their evidence in the form of silence. What they're asking for is a testimony from someone that witnessed and believed the events of Jesus' ministry, death, and resurrection, but was not a follower. Of course, anyone that witnessed and believed these events by default would be a follower. What we don't have is testimony from someone that witnessed these events and believed it was all a hoax. We just have silence, and I believe that silence is telling us a lot. Let's look at the idea that the writers just made it all up, but we'd have to ask why. What's their motive? Was it to get rich? That's not likely. According to them, Jesus taught that if anyone was to follow him, they had to give up all their riches. It's not a very good sales pitch, not much chance of getting rich off that. There is no evidence or reasons to speculate that the writers had fraudulent motives. Fact is, the only earthly gain they had to look forward to was prison or execution, and it's believed that that's what happened to most of them. We can also look at the fact that the New Testament isn't written like a document that's just made up. It includes a lot of historical and geographical details. These are details that can be verified. Specific people and places are mentioned. Items that aren't very flattering are mentioned. Someone that's making something up would tend to be more general, and if they had a movement they were trying to get people to follow, they certainly wouldn't include things that are almost insulting. So we've seen that we can be confident that the copies we have are accurate reflections of the originals. External evidence supports the historical accuracy, and the writers had no fraudulent motives. That brings us to the morning of the third day after the crucifixion of Jesus. The Bible tells us that women went to the tomb. Later, Peter and John went to the tomb. They all found the tomb empty. Possible explanations that have been given are they went to the wrong tomb, the disciples moved the body, or he was never really dead and just walked out on his own. The wrong tomb theory is a pretty weak argument. It seems that if they had really gone to the wrong tomb, when they started to preach of a risen Jesus, all anyone would have to have done, done is go to the right tomb and say, well, here he is, he's in this tomb. But Jesus was buried in a known tomb, a, a t the tomb of a member of the Sanhedrin. It wouldn't have been difficult to find. The moved body explanation is mentioned in Matthew. It says that when the chief priest heard that the tomb was empty, they paid the guards to say that, that during the night, the disciples came and moved the body while they were sleeping. And if the disciples had moved the body themselves, they would have known that Jesus had not been raised from the dead, and they wouldn't have been willing to die for his message. Nobody's willing to die for something they know is a lie. The idea that he walked out on his own is known as the swoon theory. The idea is that he just passed out when he was on the cross, that the vinegar that was presented to him acted as a drug, and when he was laid in the tomb, the cool air just revived him, and he walked out. Well, to believe this, you have to ignore the beating he took before he was put on the cross, the Roman centurion piercing his body with a sword, and the weight of the stone covering the tomb that he would have had to have rolled out of the way by himself in the dark. The idea that this could have happened without any divine intervention is probably a bigger miracle than the resurrection itself. We then have the many appearances of the risen Jesus. According to Paul, Jesus appeared first to the disciples and then to 500 others. Paul said most of these witnesses were still alive and could verify the story. 
And the most common explanation given is that these people were hallucinating. They wanted it to be real so bad that they all just had a hallucination. The problem is that hallucinations are usually private experiences based on an individual's own mentality. A hallucination would not be a valid ex explanation for over 500 people with diverse backgrounds to experience the same risen Jesus. Now, the best explanation is that the resurrection story is true. The evidence supports it. We have no reason to back down when someone challenges the reality of our faith. Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even though he dies. We should celebrate the truth of the resurrection, not only on Easter and not only on Sunday, but every day to remember the hope that it gives us. At this time, let's prepare for our offering.
Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. The third day he rose from the dead, he ascended into heaven, and sitteth at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From thence he shall come to judge the quick and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Let's sing together. Better is one day in your courts than thousands elsewhere.
may you go forth in peace with faith and confidence that our risen Christ has gone before us through life and death and now goes with us in life as we make our way with his guidance. Also, there are copies of the South Carolina Advocate back there for your taking free if you wish one. Thank you.